0: Yes, dear listeners, we're still talking about the man box and the boy code. Our guest today is going to share with us his book about what boys can do. And you and I know that that's everything. Stay tuned for On Boys.
1: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.
2: Welcome to On Boys Parenting Podcast, the podcast that explores and explains boy behavior. We are your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink of BuildingBoys.net and Janet Allison, founder of BoysAlive.com. COVID levels are spiking in some areas, and if that is the case where you are, you might want to consider upgrading your face mask. LCP Medical, one of our sponsors, makes a frontline protective face mask. It's the cloth face mask, but it comes with five replaceable N95 filters that go in the fabric face mask. You don't need a separate thing. It doesn't look huge and bulky. And there's three different options for these filters. There's the standard N95 filter, or you can choose their antipathogen filter, which destroys viruses. And they have sport filters available, high filtration, high flow for you to use during sports or exercising.
0: At the gym, what a brilliant, brilliant option. Now that we're getting out and about a little bit more, you need to have more protection.
2: It's a good idea to keep a higher level of protection mask around for you or your kids so that when virus levels are spiking in your area, you have this option. You can provide a little bit of extra protection uh, without a lot of extra effort.
0: You can see all of the masks at lcpmedical.com. Use Envoys as your coupon code for 10% off your entire order. That's lcpmedical.com. Don't you want to get more organized too? Be sure to check out Cozy. That is the app that will help you sync all of your phones all of your calendars your grocery lists and it also helps you with meal planning it is brilliant all you have to do is go to your app store and download cozy c-o-z-i and get everyone in your family more organized and now on boys
2: How can we help our boys be all they can be? To borrow a phrase from the U.S. Army. Longtime listeners, you have heard us discuss the man box here before. It's this uh, constricting set of expectations that all too often still, still 2021, 2022 limits boys opportunities in the world. You probably know the man box is reinforced via still common expressions, man up. Boys don't cry, and via media depictions of boys and men as strong, stoic, solitary, hypersexual, all the things. You have these pictures in your head right now. You know what I'm talking about. And most of you who are listening, you are already taking steps to help your son or your students discover and explore their full range of talents and interests. You're listening to our podcast for goodness sake but you also know that not everyone is on board some of you who've been listening a very long time know for instance that we have had our friend sassy harvey on here before she started an organization named my boy can after her boy faced criticism for dancing for wanting to dance Today, our guest is Dr. John Lasser, a school psychologist who has just released an adorable children's book called What Boys Do. We're going to be exploring boys and what they do in the world. Welcome, John.
3: Thanks so much. Happy to be here.
2: So tell us about how this book came to be. Why this book? Why this topic? Why now?
3: Well, I'm a child psychologist and professor, and I've always used picture books in my work because I think they're transformative. They're really helpful. And my first three picture books were about positive psychology and cultivating happiness and gratitude and kindness. And I was looking for a different direction for my work. And I thought about my own kids' needs. They're grown now, and they're both girls. So uh, I don't have experience raising sons, but I've experienced being a son. And as a feminist dad, I found a lot of great resources for girls that showed them that they could be anyone that they want to be and they could be strong and capable and powerful. But I didn't see a lot of resources for boys. And I felt like, wow, the feminist movement did a good job for girls. But what have we done for boys in the area of children's literature to really support their personhood and their development? So I pitched the idea to my editor and she said, let's do it.
2: I love that. And you are not alone in not parenting boys, Janet. Got two grown
3: daughters,
0: did not parent boys. I feel like I'm vicariously parenting Jen's boys,
2: though. Janet's my sounding board. I'm raising four of them. Um, I really appreciate what you said because Janet and I talk frequently. We applaud all these advances and outreach and positive messaging that deliberately went out to girls during the time that you were raising your girls. Janet was raising hers. Some while I was still growing up, still ongoing. What you observed is something that I've definitely noticed as a mom of boys, too. There's still this huge push. Hey, girls, you can do whatever you want. Fantastic. Great. We want to make sure boys get those messages, too.
3: Yeah, Yeah. I I also reflected on my own experience growing up as a boy. And I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. And just to give you a reference here, I'm in my early 50s. Just to give you a time span, but I remember as a child, In the 70s around thanksgiving after the big meal there was this really weird segregation that would happen where all the men would go into the living room and turn on the tv and watch the game and all the women would go into the kitchen and wash the dishes and i felt so bored sitting in the mail room watching the game it just wasn't my thing i wasn't interested in that so i would slowly move into the kitchen And I thought, wow, this is where the interesting stuff is happening. People are talking to each other. Mm -hmm. They're sharing stories and feelings. And I thought, wow, this is kind of where I belong. But I kind of don't belong, too. So trying to sort that out as a boy was a little bit confusing. I wish that I had had someone pull me aside and say, it's okay to go where you're comfortable. It's okay to go where you can be you. You don't have to go where the Y chromosomes go. So that that was part of my reflection on this need for a resource.
2: Just Mm. yesterday on Twitter, I saw uh, somebody posting, let's normalize men helping in the kitchen on Thanksgiving. I'm like, it's 2021. I thought we did, but I guess not.
3: (laughs) Apparently there's still a need for that.
2: I appreciate what you said about explicitly giving this message, go where you're comfortable. Mm -hmm. I'm pushing 50 and even as an adult, You notice these gendered, like couples get together, especially male, female couples get together and the guys go talk here and the women talk here. And I'm like, but sometimes I think that conversation is the more interesting one. I want to be in that one. I don't want to be restricted over here to these topics. And
3: that's a testament to the tenacity of these roles. Mm -hmm. They're so powerful that even when we know that they're not right they still carry weight. There's this um this little thing that kids like to say sometimes where they tell this story about uh the dad was riding bikes with his son and uh the son falls and dad takes him to the hospital and uh the doctor says I can't work on this kid. This kid's my son. It's sort of a brain teaser kind of thing and everyone says, "Well, wait a minute, how can that be?" And then you the punchline is no, the doctor's the mom. But a lot of people, even uh, feminists, will will be stumped by that because we're so ingrained to think the doctor has to be a man. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a powerful force, mm-hmm.
0: and it's powerful. I, I I've talked about this on here before. Of just the, it's not only like the adults to the children, but it's also the children. Policing each other into these into these different boxes that we have set up so you know it's kind of hard to combat that we can change our minds as adults and think oh yeah it's great john come into the kitchen be with us, you know doing the dishes and cutting the pie. But there's that, you know, I don't know if there would have been another boy there, say, you know, your cousin be like, Mm -hmm. what are you doing in there? Come back out here. And so that always is fascinating to me of how do we change this at a peer level?
3: Yeah, kids do police each other. Are you familiar with Sandra Bem? She did a lot of, she's a psychologist, who did a lot of gender research. And uh, she sent her her little boy to school in barrettes. He had long hair, so had to keep the hair out of his eyes. And another kid said, you're a girl. And he said, no, I'm a boy. Well, no, you're a girl. You're a girl and sort of insistent. Finally, Sandra Bem's son got so frustrated, he pulled down his pants and said, look, I'm a boy. And the other kid said, everybody has a penis. Only girls wear barrettes.
2: Oh, that's such an interesting story though, because as adults, as parents, there are these moments where we're like stunned by how much our kids don't know. We think we assume that they know something and find out they don't. For young children, they're looking at these Exterior, visible markers of masculinity, femininity, boy, girl, man, woman. So a penis never played into the the thought process for this child.
3: Well, and I think that I have a lot of hope for the future because a lot of the kids that I work with are very adaptive and flexible with dealing with things like trans kids and pronouns. It's the adults that seem to have a harder time with that. I, I find that kids are much more adept at switching from he to they pronouns for someone. Adults really get hung up on that.
2: You know, it occurs to me that might even be a little bit kids in general are they pick up language and adapt to new languages more quickly than we adults. We're ingrained in this is our lane. These are the words I use. And it's harder for us to learn those new things. And
3: why can kids learn all the dinosaur names and Pokemon names so quickly? And, and, it's just fascinating to me and and why aren't we teaching them other things too <laughs> when when they're just sponges for information
2: so in your experience in schools and as a child psychologist you mentioned you're in your 50s so you've been at this for a while how have you seen boys and the things that they're dealing with over the years kind of change and you know the things that they come to you with the pressures that they're experiencing in school in society at home
3: Well, in some ways, we haven't seen a lot of change, and that's some of the frustration that the three of us were talking about earlier about we're still dealing with rigid gender roles. What I have seen evolve is more boys uh, coming to therapy, ready to express themselves Mm. and feeling like therapy is something that's for boys, too. It's a safe place to talk about their feelings without judgment, where they'll be accepted completely for who they are, and they may not find that acceptance at school or at home. So we're actually seeing more and more boys coming to therapy now. And I always give a big confidentiality spiel to them. Uh, You know, what you say here stays here. And uh, sometimes uh, you may see me out in public and I won't acknowledge you because I don't want to out you as someone who's in therapy. And they'll say, oh, I tell everyone that I have a therapist. That's not a big deal. Uh, So I've seen a shift there, too, with sort of destigmatizing mental health care. And I really like that, that that boys are coming to therapy now.
2: Yeah, that's awesome.
0: I want to just turn the coin a little bit on that. I I'm a family coach, so I work with, with parents only, not with the kids, but I'm hearing from parents this resistance, and this is more teen boys, of going to therapy. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of at a loss. Like, how do I how do how do I support those parents? Like, how do you make your son go to therapy or encourage him to go? Do you have any? kernels of wisdom for sure i mean the best clients
3: are the ones that self-refer it's it's never (laughs) ideal if someone uh, is dragged in or court ordered for therapy they're going to be resistant um but the first thing i do if a kid says you know i I really don't want to do this is i ask them what is this like what do you think therapy is Mm. and they'll say well you have to come in and talk about your problems and you get psychoanalyzed and they they have all these sort of Hollywood stereotypes of what mm-hmm. therapy is. So the first thing I say is, look, when you come here, you don't have to do anything or say anything. That's the first rule. You get to choose how we spend our time. And you just see all of the tension melt away when they hear that they don't have to do anything. And then I say, look, if you're willing to give it a try, you can fire me after a couple sessions. I'm fine with that. And they love the idea of being able to fire me. You know what? They never do <laughs> because okay. they find that this is a place where they can be themselves and they can talk about what's going on at their comfort level without any pressure or requirement. And the other thing I picked up from another psychologist, Ross Green, is they come into the office. The first thing you do is you kind of point to the waiting room and say, what's their problem? <laughs> uh, <laughs>
0: I like that.
3: (laughs) Often the teenager doesn't think anything is wrong. That's why they're not seeking therapy. The problem is the adults in their life. Mm -hmm. And they have a venue now to talk about that.
2: It was so powerful what you said. And Janet, I think parents can steal a little bit of that wisdom.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Our kids, tweens, teenagers, tween, teenage boys, especially, they get told what they have to do all the time. So to create even little slivers of space and time where, listen, right now, I'm not going to tell you what you have to do. I'm not going to tell you, you have to come in here and do this. You can just, just be in this space. And if you don't like how it's going, fine. You don't have to work with me anymore. That's genius. Obviously as parents, your kids may try to fire you. Trust me. Don't ask how I know these things just happens. But creating little moments where they don't have to do what you want them to do can leave space for connection and leave space for boys to express a little bit more of maybe who they are. Sometimes adults and children get in conflict because there's this difference between who the child is and wants to be and who the parents think the child should be.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, there are uh, different models of psychotherapy, and one of them poses that we have basic psychological needs, and I won't go over all of them. One of them is freedom, and that's the capacity to make choices for yourself. And kids are so managed. Uh, Their freedom is so constrained in school. You know, sit down, be quiet, line up, all of that stuff that they need opportunities to be free. And the second is fun. And fun often gets overlooked, especially when we look at household chores and schoolwork and things like that. So if you can make psychotherapy a place where you can be free and have fun, that's a win-win, right? Because the therapist enjoys the experience, the child enjoys the experience. So that's what I try to do. So with younger kids, it's play-based. With older kids, we may... Uh, take a walk outside, play games, do things together that are enriching and fun. Uh, and often um, they feel like that's a, the only place they can really express themselves in a genuine way because they have the freedom to do so.
2: Freedom and fun, that makes me want to sign up right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when we talk about you know uh, expanding opportunities for our boys, giving our boys the freedom and space and support To explore all of these aspects of their personality. I was thinking about this as we were preparing to talk. In some corners of of our country right now, there seems to be, you know, increasing support for gender diversity and, and gender equity, and some increasing recognition that gender stereotypes are harmful for girls and for boys, and that's not okay. And then in other corners, there seems some resistance to the idea that boys have anything to complain about at all, that gender stereotypes are not a thing for boys, that they're boys and men, they're advantaged, they're privileged, and we can't talk about that. And then in still other parts, there's this very uh, binary understanding of gender that it's boy, girl, and we're supposed to be different, and that's how it should be. That's confusing for me as an adult to navigate. How do we help our boys In this environment where they've got all of those messages subtly coming in from the outside.
3: It's really confusing and complicated. I think the proof is in the pudding. Uh, You can ask any male if the gender role stereotypes that are in place are working for them or not, and if they're working for them I guess that's okay, but they should also ask the people that they live with, the people that they spend time with, if how that's working out for them as well. Uh, In my experience, if you follow the recipe of the traditional American male stereotype, you're gonna have some challenges in your relationships because if you're not emotionally expressive and you're not helpful with those kitchen chores and you don't show any vulnerability, you're going to have limited opportunities for deep, meaningful engagement with others, with your partner, with your kids, with your coworkers. It's going to be a limited existence, and you're going to bump into what we call gender role strain. I'm doing everything that the culture has asked me to do, and yet I'm having all of these frustrating moments where uh, my partner is saying, why don't you ever talk about your feelings? I, I don't feel connected to you. You seem distant, and that's confusing.
0: This episode is sponsored by
2: By Heart. Babies need to eat, and whether you breastfeed or bottle feed, use formula. Combine all of the above. You need options. We wanted to let you know about By Heart baby formula. We all know that vitamins can help fill nutritional gaps in our diet. But a lot of us don't like to take vitamins because we don't like swallowing pills. How do you feel about that, Janet?
0: There's some days that I look at my vitamins and go, yeah, I should take those. I'll do it later. But I'll tell you what's changed. I have gotten Easy Melt Vitamins. I have the D3 and I have the B12s and a multivitamin and I just pop them in my mouth and they dissolve and I don't have to think about swallowing a vitamin.
2: And you don't necessarily need water either to have on hand to get this big vitamin down. Yeah,
0: no. And they taste good and they're sugar-free. They melt quickly. The reason they melt is because of plants not chemicals.
2: Ah, plant-based nutrition. For a limited time only, you can receive a free, free three-month supply of Easy Melt Vitamin D3 with your first purchase. To claim your free D3, visit try.easymelts.com slash envoys. That's try, T-R-Y, dot easymelts, E-Z-M-E-L-T-S dot com forward slash on boys.
3: So I can speak from my own experience and I'm I'm definitely a privileged white male. Things have come pretty easy to me. I can show up and people kind of assume that I know what I'm talking about. Often I don't. Uh, I've had to work hard to sort of live up to an expectation that uh, I know what I'm talking about. Uh, when you get a job as a professor, people often automatically think you have some sort of expert knowledge. Most of us are still learning as we go and trying to figure things out. So there's some humility there. Uh, but I think that boys ought to be able to have opportunities to talk about all of the cultural conversations you've been discussing. Uh, if you live in a rural conservative part of the country and you hear that out in California you know, uh, the, the boys are girls now or whatever, you know, the, 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 the way that's characterized, mm-hmm. uh, what does that mean to you and, and how do you make sense of it? I think that sometimes there's an interesting intersection of left and right. when we talk about that because a lot of people in more conservative areas believe in freedom and Liberty and being left alone <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and not being told what to do. Um, uh, and to those in the blue states that's exactly what they're talking about as well so i I think that's a a, an interesting point of intersection
2: it is an interesting point of intersection and it can be difficult as our kids grow and start seeing some of that like well you're for freedom and liberty except i'm supposed to be this way Mm -hmm. so freedom and liberty for everybody except me and they they don't always say it that way but they may have that inside
3: Well, and the exciting thing about adolescence is that's a time where they start to push back against authority as they should Mm -hmm. and start to question a lot of the things they were taught as they should. That's a developmental characteristic of adolescence that we should embrace and value. Unfortunately, we try to problematize that and say, you know, what's wrong with that kid for being so anti-authority? And, um, that's something that we should celebrate I mean there are limits to that as well we don't want kids to um to do things that are destructive or, or things that may get in the way of the happiness of others but even so it's good to start thinking critically about institutions and rules and to question them
2: now obviously your book is not aimed at adolescence. it <laughs> no. is a beautiful picture book it is exactly I'm holding it up and of course you listeners you can't see it um it's a hardcover. It has beautiful illustrations. It's exactly the kind of thing that I would have picked up from the library shelves, you know, when my boys were little. And uh, so this is aimed at the read aloud set for sure. Yes.
3: Yeah, it's a, it's a preschool book. Um, and I, I would say, you know, I think maybe the publisher would market it as four to eight yeah Um, and that's that's flexible the illustrations are gorgeous they're done by an illustrator who's actually in houston uh robert paul jr very talented he's from the virgin islands Mm. and a lot of people assume that when we do picture books that the author and the illustrator somehow sit down together and and collaborate not at all i write the words the publisher sends them to the illustrator and he illustrates it there's minimal conversation about that. And it's mediated through the publisher, but he did a great job. I've never met him in person
2: yet. Why did you aim for this audience?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. All of my picture books are targeted at this audience in part, because I believe that's where we can have the most influence. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that young children in early childhood, I think of it as the magical years. They're really open Mm -hmm. and flexible. And they're not yet set in their ways. The cement has not set yet. And we have an opportunity for influence there. That's not to say that you should give up hope after they turn nine. But that early childhood is a time where we really can make a difference. And uh, picture books were part of my childhood. They were part of my daughter's childhood. And they're things that have a lasting impression. I don't know about you, but I still remember some of the picture books that were read to me although it's been decades. I mean, Are You My Mother is one of the, the <laughs> books that I will never forget.
2: That's one of the books that is definitely making the move with me, Janet. That's, you know, there are certain books you just can't mm-hmm. get rid of. And I don't care how old or you, your kids are, you just can't get rid of them. No, you can't.
0: Brown bear, brown bear. Just got to throw that
2: one out there.
3: Oh, that's a good one. Too.
0: My
2: Nathan loved the purple kitty, the purple oh. kitty. Oh. And you know what? He couldn't talk yet then. He was young, right? But that that illustration spoke to him. Mm-hmm. That child is now a 23-year-old man who is living with two cats. There you go.
3: All right. <laughs> There's the impact. I should also shout out to my publisher, Imagination Press. Uh, it is an imprint of the American Psychological Association. Mm. And all of these books are written by mental health professionals. And they all have a reader's note at the back. So you've got the story for the kids and then for the adults at the back, a more comprehensive, deep dive into the message of the book and how to help kids.
2: So I wanted to talk about that reader's note. The reader's note takes up two pages at the back. You know, this one starts with raising and teaching children, provides us with many joys and challenges. Everybody listening understands that. Second paragraph. In the case of boys, we often think in terms of stereotypes about masculinity. And then basically you outline what I described as a man box earlier, you know, boys are expected to be tough, stoic, self-confident. And then, um, as it goes on, you talk about, uh, you know, behavioral differences, socialization, boys and girls may function best when they can integrate qualities that are masculine and feminine. And then you specifically outline ways we can help boys. As a parent, that kind of input is so helpful for me because frankly, most people would encounter this book the same way that I likely would have when my kids were younger. Oh, that's a cool looking book on the shelf at the library. And at that point, before my kids even hit school age, I was not aware of many of the challenges facing boys. I'm a woman. What did I know about what boy world looks like? Your first way we can help boys read diverse books to boys. Clearly yours fits right into that, but can you elaborate on that one, please?
3: Sure. We often think that boys will like a particular kind of book. Uh, We may jump to conclusions. You may think, oh, adventure, something with dragons. Uh, Turns out boys are less concerned about that thing than adults are. And unfortunately, we don't really market books to four year olds because they don't have money. They don't buy books. Right? So we, market, we market books to parents and we think uh, of what parents are going to pick up. Uh, there's a great book in the feminist tradition that is often read to girls called The Paper Bag Princess. I don't know if you're familiar with it, <laughs> but I'm uh, not.
2: But again, been raising but, boys but, for 20 years.
3: Yeah, yeah. The prince is captured by a dragon and the paper bag princess goes off to rescue him. and it's a great story and it turns out boys like it too and it's great for boys to see a strong girl rescuing a prince so sometimes we have to get out of our own preconceived notions of what boys like because we're a victim of these stereotypes as well we're locked into it too so reading books to boys about animals about babies about nurturing can be really helpful for them in terms of their development and start seeing themselves as potential nurturers.
2: One of the best things I think that parents can do when you go to the library, give them free reign. Obviously, you don't want them pulling down all the books in the adult section, so supervision, (laughs) but let them pick out their books, watch them, figure out what subjects they gravitate towards, figure out the kind of books they're watching for, and then, grab a couple of your own, just have them in the house, in the pile, see what happens.
3: I love that suggestion. It taps into that psychological need for freedom as Mm -hmm. well, to be able to choose. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think that one of the questions I always ask myself when I write these picture books that are psychologically minded is, who's my audience? Am I writing these books for the parents or for the kids? And the answer is yes.
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) they, They both need them. You know, I want to comment a little bit about walking the line uh, because one of your other suggestions too is, um, you know, support boys goals and interest, which goes to our topic today, expanding boys opportunities for people who are coming to this with the intent of wanting to expand boys worlds beyond the things that are stereotypically boy, beyond adventure, beyond battles beyond trucks and balls and bats. It can be a little disheartening or disappointing sometimes if their kid keeps picking out the truck books at the library Mm. or prefers to play, you know, lightsaber stick battles outside. Talk to parents. How do you navigate that? Well,
3: look, I I guess I could come off as, as being someone who says, Um, hide the trucks and put out the ballet shoes. But I don't believe in that. I really believe that everyone should be the person they want to be. And if a kid gravitates towards trucks, I would support that interest in trucks. I don't think that any uh, force is going to shift that interest. I think it's there. It's part of who that person is. And I celebrate that. That being said, if the kid gravitates toward tea parties and dress ups, I support that as well. So I, I don't think that um, our job is to tell them what to like. I think our job is to celebrate what they like.
2: Mm, like do, you see, do you see families that struggle with that sometimes, Janet?
0: I, I do see families that struggle with that. I You know, the families that their boys want to wear dresses and the parents are, you know, they're pretty fine with that. And that's okay. And yet it's kind of not okay. So, you know, parents are still... In that maybe that in between generation of like we're totally not quite on board and what are the grandparents going to say, and and so it's this shift. And I love what you said, John. You know, this is this is what the boy's gravitating to at this age. Is it always going? Is he going to be sixteen and wearing dresses? We don't know, you know. But he is going to carry that subtle message of this isn't okay as a five year old, a six year old. So that messaging is the more important piece than the actual, is he going to wear dresses or not? We don't know.
2: I would be willing to bet that there were times where I had a son with ballet slippers on dragging himself around the house in a Tonka dump truck. (laughs) I'd be willing to bet Tonka toys were huge in my household and I'm I'm still a big fan of Tonka trucks. But my oldest son at four, he wanted to take dance lessons and he did. So he had ballet slippers, which, you know, stayed in the house forever. And I mean, kids, they whatever's there, they're going to play with it in whatever way and let them be more or less. If they're whacking each other with the ballet slippers or the Tonka truck, then I have a conversation with them. It's time to do something. Other than that, I don't care what you play with.
3: Mm -hmm. I love that. It it reminds me that we used to conceptualize masculinity and femininity femininity as a a continuum, where if you were more of one, you were less of the other. Mm -hmm. Now it's been reconceptualized where you can have high and low levels of both. So you could have high femininity and low masculinity, or you could be high on both. These are traits that are not mutually exclusive. You can have um, some combination. and, And some say that androgyny, a nice healthy blend of those traits makes a person well-rounded and, and more adaptive to life's challenges.
2: Talk about some of your other um, suggestions in this reader's notes. Wow. Um, engage in imaginative play with boys. How does that I love,
3: Yeah, as a play therapist, I love to get a kid in a room full of toys and all kinds of toys um, that would be stereotypically masculine and feminine and let them play freely without me directing the play and let them uh, express themselves. Play therapists love to say that play is the language of kids and toys are the words because mm. in therapy, a six-year-old is not going to sit on the couch and say, let me tell you about my mother. <laughs> they, <just> don't, <laughs> they don't do that, but they do express themselves through play and they'll work out family conflict with a dollhouse or with puppets And imaginative play is really freedom of expression in its absolute form. So when kids play imaginatively, they get to be themselves. And and that's where a boy will pick up a baby doll and a bottle and nurture it Mm. and be gentle with it. Uh, That's where uh, a girl can be a powerful superhero wearing a cape and be herself. So imaginative play is something that It's a a trick or a tip that play therapists would love to give away. They'd love parents to be play therapists for their kids Mm -hmm. and learn how to be with a child, let them play freely and accept them completely the way they play. Often adults find themselves controlling and managing kids. And this is sort of a sacred space where kids get to be themselves. So if I could encourage parents of young children to do one thing, it would be, be with them as they play and express their imaginative powers and just accept whatever comes out of that.
2: Give them some tips for doing that. And the reason why I'm asking is that as a parent, sometimes I struggled with that. Some parents are naturally great at it. My brother, Doc, is one who, like, he's fantastic at it. He also worked as a child care provider for a number of years, which is why he was good at that job. One of my problems, like I am bored to tears with this game and I I struggled sometimes. So give parents tips on how they can maybe enter and engage with their kids imaginative play without taking it over.
3: Well, the reason why it's boring, first of all, is that kids love repetition. Uh, the, The repetition is part of their brain making sense of the world. And the more they repeat it, the more it becomes sort of wired in them. And they love that we get really tired of repetition. And that's why reading the same book over and over again is a joy for a child, but yeah, to the parent, it's like, again, (laughs) you my mother for the thousandth time, but kids love it. So uh, we have to remember it's not for us, it's for Mm -hmm. them, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But what I think of is a parent as sportscaster. So your job is to ah. witness what the kid is doing and you can describe it as they're playing. I see that you're putting the baby doll in the truck and the truck is driving now. You're just describing what they see. And that is powerful in and of itself because at that point, the kid is like, oh, I am seen. Yes. I, someone is witnessing what I'm doing. They're noticing, they're paying attention. I have their undivided attention. So all you have to do is describe. And that gives you something to do and alleviate some of the boredom as well. You don't have to make grand interpretations either and say, oh, I see you're working out your sibling rivalry and you know, forget about all that, just notice.
2: Small doses matter too. Like you don't have to do this for an hour at a time.
3: That's right, that's right. I would say 15 minutes a day would be a good dose of non-directive imaginative playtime.
0: Mhm. Nice. Permission granted, parents, allow your children to be in that imagination place and I'm going to guess maybe some of our parents might just kind of like being there
2: too. I think so. I want to ask about one more tip that you have in the book for parents in the reader's note. Practice unconditional positive regard for boys. Define that first of all.
3: Sure. Unconditional co- positive regard means I love you because you're you and no matter what you do, I'll always love you. I accept you because you are you. And sometimes you may make choices that I disagree with, but I still accept you and nothing will ever change that. That's something that I think for many parents comes naturally. It's, it's just a a parental bond and it's love and uh, for others that may be harder for a variety of reasons, um, and we can only speculate. Maybe, maybe that parent never received unconditional positive regard. Um, so the whole idea of it is kind of foreign because uh, love was always a contingency for them as a child. Um, but this is something that we all benefit from. And the nice thing about it is it's totally free. It's always available and there's no shortage of it. So it, it's a, a really nice gift. And that, that's what we're talking about. And that means um, I love you, whether you wear a football uniform or a dress. I love you, whether you watch the football game or go into the kitchen mm-hmm. and hang out with us and wash dishes. Um, I love you when you're not feeling well. I love you when you're grumpy. And I am always here for you. That's my definition.
2: It sounds so lovely, but Janet, you know, this is so much harder for adults to put into practice and for myself, and I don't think I'm unusual in this. Like a lot of adults, I grew up in a family where, I mean, it was conditional. It was conditional on you doing the things we want you to do, which is exactly the sort of thing that can stifle exploration and um, full experience of who you are in the world. We've talked before, Janet, about how, I don't want to say a lot, some well-meaning dads, especially, don't want their boys to be hurt by the world. So they try and shape them into, you know, an acceptable package. Mm -hmm. So unconditional positive regard is very challenging, I think, for a lot of parents. What would you suggest would be a way that a parent might take a a tiny step forward towards that if this isn't something that just comes innate or easily for them?
3: Well, I don't know if this is a tiny step, but uh, often parents that seek out therapy or coaching um, benefit from that because then they have some external support for those tiny steps. It's hard to do it on your own. So I would say that. And then maybe even engaging in a little bit of mindfulness. Um, uh, a little bit of uh, awareness of themselves and their own feelings uh, can go a long way. I always tell parents that calm children need calm parents. Mm. So when parents can take time to to do some self care and be aware of their own emotions, and they can you know pay attention. When am I at my best? When am I most available to, to my kids and and uh, supportive of them? then they can muster that kind of deep well of love that's that's there, I believe, already. But mm-hmm. being able to tap into it and share it is sort of the the tiny step, I guess.
0: Yeah, that self-care piece, boy, that comes up all the time. We have to take care of ourselves so that we can be that deep well of love for our What kids. do we say? Put
3: put your mask on first, right? Absolutely. You're not your mask. <laughs> <laughs> well Is there a time for me to plug my other books? Can I mention them?
2: I was actually going to ask you about, um, because you did a tech one recently,
3: right? Yeah, uh, it's called Tech Generation, Raising Balanced Kids in a Hyperconnected World with Dr. Mike Brooks. And he and I tackled the screen time problem for Mm. parents Mm -hmm. and other adults, which uh, is a universal challenge. Uh, That book was written before the pandemic, just before the pandemic. And then everyone uh, had massive increases in screen time. So it's- As a writer,
2: I can only imagine the panic you and your co-author felt at that point, like, oh gosh, we turned the manuscript in. Now the world has changed. Is it still relevant? Is it not?
3: Fortunately, we tried to write it broadly enough. And a lot of the advice in the book is basic parenting advice that could be applied to many challenges of trying to set limits with kids. Mm. What does it mean to be a parent who has boundaries and expectations, but is also warm? We call that authoritative parenting. Um, And and some of those tips and tricks for managing screen time come out of the research on effective parenting.
2: Tell us about your other picture books as well. I mean, maybe a parent will discover uh what boys do and they want to do the whole deep dive into your other picture books
3: sure so those books are called grow happy grow grateful and grow kind and the theme or metaphor is a garden and our protagonist kiko has a garden and as she cultivates her garden she also cultivates her happiness and she knows that just like a garden needs a lot of care, she does too. She needs to exercise and eat healthy foods and get plenty of rest. And she also relies on social support from family and friends, both to help her garden grow and to help her happiness grow. And uh, I co-authored those three books with my youngest daughter, who is oh, now wow. 24 years old oh, and awesome. was a psychology major, psychology, American studies, double major. And uh, we had a lot of fun doing that.
2: That is so cool. To get to co-author a book with your child had to be very special.
3: Yeah, one of my greatest joys.
2: I'm going to ask you to make a prediction 20 years from now. So the the boys that are being born will be little adults at that point. 20 years from now, where do you think our boys and men are, are going to be? Do you think we're going to have seen a substantial shift?
3: I think we're going to make micro shifts over the next 20 years. 20 years is a short time in human history. It is. And these gender role stereotypes aren't going away. But I predict that in 20 years, we're going to be able to have young men that can think a little bit more flexibly than we can now.
2: And I think it begins right now with the parents who are listening, with the practitioners such as yourself, and with books like this that help us all expand our world and see that the opportunities for our boys should be as as big as the world, as big as the universe.
3: I hope you were right. <laughs> we'll see. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm on Twitter at John S. Lasser, and uh, I do have a story time with the Houston Public Library that will be on YouTube soon, and I'm happy to share the link with you
2: yeah please um, when that's live send it and even if it's after we post you know this episode i can always add it Mm -hmm. later on so that would be fantastic and
0: i'm guessing all of your books are available wherever books are sold and we always encourage our listeners to support their local independent booksellers thanks for being with us john
3: thanks so much take care
0: Thanks for joining us. You know, if you are struggling with some of the things that we talked with John about today, you can always schedule a free breakthrough session call with me, Janet. Just go to boysalive.com slash call and schedule that time with me and we'll sort things out and see what support you need. Meanwhile, we appreciate your support of our sponsors LCP Medical has those masks that are going to be that extra level of protection that you need, especially during cold and flu season. Keep your kids healthy. Keep yourself healthy. LCPmedical.com. Use the Onboys coupon code to save on your order. And also, don't forget Cozy, that app that's going to help you get more organized, get your family connected, all your schedules in one place. C O Z I, download it from your App Store. Jen and I thank you for being on Boys listeners. If you liked this podcast, please share it with a friend. Thank you.